Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Varsh, and we have good news for you, especially if you like anime, if you like cartoons and adventure and things like that, and there are kids or grandkids in your world who get scared. Got any one of those? Uh, do you have several of those in your home? I know we do on the grandparent side, especially not uncommon for us to have at least one grandchild wrestling it out with us in bed because they had a hard time, you know, sleeping or you know, something woke them up in the middle of the night. Uh, Marty Machowski is here. And at the bottom of the hour today, we're going to talk about a brand new children's book of his that's designed to help you when you're feeling scared. And uh, it's really, it's a very simple, basic concept. The book's called Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And you know how much I love to give away stuff on Good News Friday. We have not one, but two copies of Marty's books that we'll be giving away. So if you want to give Crystal and Joel a call right now, please do so. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, here on this Good News Friday, we have good news coming out of the uh, uh, the educational world. And I'm encouraged because there are a couple of stories here uh, that show that people of faith are taking a stand for what is right and having some measure of success. You don't necessarily have to run for school board to uh, let your voice be heard and uh, have an impact here. And the state of Florida, yet again, I know we hear from a lot of people who are saying, that uh, you know Donald Trump is the front runner for the GOP. You know we had the uh, debates earlier this week, and uh, you know it, 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 all the polls come out and they say it doesn't matter. You know who did what, where. It, everyone's battling for second place. You know Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, etc. I will tell you this: having experience in Congress, like Ron DeSantis does, I think is definitely a plus. Having experience, having been a governor, like Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis does, a plus. Remember, it was governor of Indiana, Mike Pence, who ran for vice president along with Donald Trump in 2016 after having served, was it three or four terms in the Congress? I like the people who have that kind of experience because I think they demonstrate that they're problem solvers and they get things done. Now, Florida has been in the spotlight for a lot of different things over the past couple of years. Remember the don't say gay bill, as it was called by the left. It was actually the Parental Rights and Education Act. It was the official name in, in Florida. And that was the bill that uh, Governor DeSantis championed and eventually signed into law. Of course, it had to pass through both the House and the Senate there. Uh, that basically gave parents the right to say, no, you're not going to teach my kids about LGBTQ history. You're not going to teach them about transgenderism, any of that stuff in grades kindergarten, first, second or third. Now, I quite frankly would prefer to see something like that go all the way through middle school um, and, and possibly even into high school. But the fact that he even tried to impose that law and it's now the law in, in Florida tells me two things. First of all, it tells me that Governor DeSantis really does care about what kids are learning in public school. And secondly, that the left hates being wrong. And I, I, I know this is an oversimplification, but I am utterly amazed that the, the, the side of the political aisle that spends so much time talking about tolerance and inclusivity and being a welcoming community will have none of it if you disagree with them at any point. Point. Remember what Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 7? He says, whoever is guilty of, uh, I want to say, make sure I got this the right reference here. Um, whoever is guilty of breaking the law at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. 
And the reality is that the left, it, it, it's that way too. We are welcoming and inclusive and we, we, every, we're tolerant of everybody as long as you agree with everything we say. And the minute you deviate from that, off with your head, so to speak. Case in point, public education. For years, the SAT, the Scholastic Aptitude Test, and the ACT, and I don't remember what the whatever test is, what it stands for, are they've been the gold standard for years. Scholastic Aptitude Test was created ostensibly to help students out who had done well in school, had above average intelligence, were headed for college, and then puberty hits, you get into adolescence, you get into high schools, your grades aren't that great. And so if you were going to, um, like, for example, when I was graduating from high school in 1979, Foothill Pie right here in Tustin, California, uh, I applied to, I was going to apply to Cal State Fullerton and Cal State Long Beach. And I also looked at a couple of community colleges to go to as well. I know, <gasps> community colleges, <laughs> some people, ah, community colleges. Hey, can I, a little sidebar here, just for a second. I mean, I'm, uh, Dizzy Dean used to say, bragging ain't bragging if you got the facts to back it up. All three of my biological children, Emily, Kaylee, and Jake, who I've talked about often on the program, um, all went to public high school, went to community college for two years. Well, Jake went for three. And then transferred to Cal State Fullerton. All graduated with undergraduate degrees from Cal State Fullerton. Jake picked up a master's degree there in his teaching full-time. Kaylee picked up a master's at San Francisco State and another one at SC and then a doctorate at SC. And Emily picked up a... Uh, a master's in education online through, from Kent State during the pandemic. Uh, the reason I bring that up is none of them took the SAT. All of them went to community college and all of them did. I mean, none of them was like the superstar spectacular one in their class, but they all had great academic careers post high school and they're all thriving in their careers. The parents who are putting so much pressure on these kids, you know, go to Saturday school and go to SAT prep classes and get the perfect score on the SAT. You're really missing out. I mean, my kids had a wonderful high school experience. They all, you know, dated and went to dances and were in extracurricular activities and had a good time. It was not an easy slog for them to finish up their uh, undergraduate stuff and then eventually get into grad school. But it's definitely been a journey. There's no question about it. But it is possible. The scholastic aptitude test, though, has become that badge of, oh, well, you know, you got a 4.7 GPA and a perfect score on the SAT, and even that isn't good enough to get you into Harvard. But the SAT has been under a lot of attack, and so has the ACT for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, people in minority communities have long said that it's more of a, uh, uh, an ethnicity-based test that uh, favors white students over others. Secondly, there are those who've said that it's sexist because it makes it tougher for girls. And so they change some of the requirements now. Most of public education is female dominated and slanted anyway. It's more verbal, it's more emotional. It's not as much problem solved because for some reason the opinion was that girls couldn't do math or science or you know engineering or something like that, which is not true. But that's what the, the intelligentsia wants you to believe. Well, more and more you've been seeing schools kind of taking the emphasis off of the SAT and off of the ACT. And they've been trying to come up with a new measurement. One of the tests that has gained a lot of popularity recently is called the CLT or the Classic Learning Test. This is a test that was designed initially back in 2015 by a man called Jeremy Tate. He was a former English teacher in public schools 
And he said he'd just gotten frustrated with how the American education system had become so, as he put it, utilitarian. He was working at, as an evening high school English teacher, and he, he realized that the ethical ideas that you used to learn were, were literally gutted from the classroom. I can vouch for that from a dear friend of mine, Chrissy Brothwell. She and her husband, Eric, are both teachers. And Chrissy has taught uh, in the public school system for, in, I think, 25 years now. Started right out of uh, finishing up uh, uh, her grad work. And she teaches English literature. And there was a time when California's Department of Education was going all in on whether or not um, they, they should be teaching more how-to, more biography, more you know, factually-based things and not so much in the literature world. And uh, for me, I'm not much for literature at all. I'm really, I'm quite the how-to type of person. But I remember talking with her one night. We were at choir rehearsal, and we were talking afterwards, and I said, what do you think of this new bill where California wants to make something like 85% of all the curricula be these how-to type books? And she said, where are you going to learn about arts and humanity? Where are you going to learn about, I mean, take a, a story like Le Miserable. I mean, there's so much passion and power, but that man's inhumanity against man and man against the system and stuff like that. Where are you going to learn basically how to be a decent human being except by reading good classical literature? And that was just on the literary side. The scientific side, the historical side, what history do you learn? What history do you not learn? That's been a, a debate for educators for centuries, and especially here in the United States and the People's Republic of California, where there is so much history involving African-Americans and Native Americans that we don't know because it's not taught. So then you kind of overcompensate in historically black colleges and whatever, where they'll, they'll focus on that kind of education at the expense of the other, and now you wonder why we have a divided nation. So how about preparing kids with a holistic classic liberal arts education and then testing them on it in a certain way? Well, the CLT, the classic learning test has been designed for that purpose. And in the great state of Florida, they've taken a huge step toward accepting the CLT as an alternative to the ACT or SAT for admission to universities. We'll tell you specifically where. I mean, a lot of Christian colleges are using this, but what kind of footprint are they getting in the state university system in Florida? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and the classic learning test passed a huge obstacle last week in the state of Florida. The classic learning test, or the CLT, has been created. Uh, there's an organization uh, called the CLT website, and uh, a former English teacher by the name of Jeremy Tate launched this test back in 2015, and the idea was, I'll read from their website, um, the CLT hopes that by offering a new standard that puts students in front of the thinkers and questions that have most meaningfully shaped our culture for the past two millennium, we could be a catalyst for renewal in education year-wide or nationwide and year-round. So uh, the, a lot of Christian colleges have been using the CLT, a lot of Christian universities too, have been using it as an alternative. If a student takes the SAT and the ACT and the CLT, and the CLT gives them the best indication of how well-rounded the student is, along with their GPA and everything else that they bring with them, that's been acceptable, you know, to private Christian college. Well, that's good. That's good to know. But what about the public schools? Because everyone knows that the public schools drive the educational, um, well, they stir the educational drink, if you will. <laughs> well, now, in the state of Florida, the CLT just got a big boost. 
the State Board of Education in the state of Florida, the Board of Governors, have announced that the CLT will now be usable and acceptable as an alternate to the SAT or ACT by all the universities in the state university system of Florida. Now, this is, I mean, this is really big. By the way, they were accepted by the board. The vote was 13 to 1. Incredible. What, what, what means, what this means for the state of Florida and for students who go there, uh, for example, uh, the, only, the only board member, by the way, who voted against this was Amanda Phelan. She's a business professor at the University of Florida. And uh, basically, she told the New York Times she could not support the use of CLT in college admissions because, quote, it lacked empirical evidence that is of the same quality as the SAT or ACT. Um, it's interesting. One of the things that I find very intriguing about this is a lot of times people would look at, um, uh, they, they, they take a look at these, these tests and ask the question, well, if it's being used by Christian universities, obviously it must be a lot easier than the SAT. Um, Anika Prather, who serves as Director of High Quality Curriculum and Instruction at Johns Hopkins Institute for Education Policy and worked with the advisory board on the Florida State University system, Quite frankly, she said, um, here's what I appreciated about the CLT. I believe the CLT is a hard test. It's actually more difficult than the SAT, but it's also more enjoyable. It is harder because it does something that many of our schools do not teach. It actually requires students to think. And then she continued and said, you know, the SAT and the ACT are still acceptable. So if you don't think your child is ready for the CLT, Go ahead and do it. Or if you want to expose your child to classical learning. So you will have to know more about Martin Luther King Jr. And Dubois and Frederick Douglass and Angela Davis, James Baldwin, and really broaden their horizons. Well, try doing that. That's just a thought. Now, the good news about this, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are thinking, well, this is a bunch of Christians and they're, you know, Ron DeSantis is trying to curry favor with them. And, um, you know, and so this is going to be politically motivated. But here's what Governor DeSantis had to say about this. He said, quite frankly, I like the CLT because it was created through a collaboration of a diverse group of partners. It is a very apolitical approach, quoting him here. If we only use politics for the basis of rejecting something, then we may be causing our young people to miss out on an amazing educational opportunity. My hope is that this exam breaks into every single state in America. The CLT exam was a group effort. It was, it was put together by blacks and whites and Christians and unbelievers and Muslims, LGBTQ, liberals, conservatives. There was so much diversity on this committee that put this all together. It's simply not what it seems. Um, he, he said some of the board members, uh, Angel Adams Parham out of the University of Virginia, uh, Cornell West, uh, Jessica Hooten Wilson, um, who's <laughs> always been called woke in the Christian community, and many more. Uh, and Governor DeSantis is on this as well. So, you know, here's the, the thing. The idea that what we're, we've seen every time there's some kind of change in the educational system and it's designed to, quote unquote, make things better for students of take your pick. It's supposed to make it better for women. It's supposed to make it for students of color. It's supposed to you know, for whoever it is. 
invariably what happens is, um, well, they wind up dumbing it down. Remember when Common Core was all the rage all across the country about a decade ago? You know what the Common Core standard, basically what they were using was, the Department of Education had standards for math and English and science and this, that, and the other thing. Common Core sought to make the standard universal all throughout the country. There's a problem, though. They, they said the minimum standards are too small. We need to make them bigger. Here's the problem. The minimum standards were just that, minimum standards. Most states were exceeding the minimum standards. Common Core came along and said the goal of mathematics in high school is for every student to pass Algebra 1. Now, the goal of mathematics in high school as the old basis used to be, I think it was high math. But most states had opportunities for students to take Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2, Trigonometry and Calculus, I mean, et cetera. They, their, their options were available. Remember, um, what was it, Garfield High School in uh, the movie Stand and Deliver? Jaime Escalante and that group took a bunch of kids and, and taught them the AP Calculus exam, and their pass rate was phenomenal. Nobody thought a bunch of Chicano students from East L.A. could ever even take the test, let alone pass it. And he challenged the system. Well, the standard at that school was so low and no one bothered to raise the bar. Why would we teach calculus here? These kids are all going to drop out of school anyway. So there's a big difference between the standard being too low, but then someone saying, okay, if that's the minimum, we can go above it. And Common Core, which basically said, we're going to set the ceiling very low and no one can rise past it. So the CLT, I think, is doing us a favor. The classic learning test, and if you have kids or grandkids that are of that age where they're taking those tests, look into how they can take that as well. If you're a school teacher, look about getting that curriculum, see what kinds of courses you can take to angle your kids toward the classic learning tests, and let's see how much better our kids do at critical thinking. And helping, first and foremost, beginning with the idea that a lot of kids think critical thinking means you criticize everybody, and that's just not good. Speaking of what happens in public schools, it's nice to see another governor, this also on the Eastern Seaboard, uh, taking a positive stand for a parent who said, I want to do what I can to make the learning experience good for children and protect them as well. Governor, governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia is in the spotlight in our next story here on Good News Friday. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. By the way, get your dialing fingers ready. We have a couple copies of Marty Machowski's book, Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. It's a great book for kids, 3D, color. It's, 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 it's totally fun, but it's the perfect book to have, especially at Grandma and Grandpa's house if you've got young ones who come your way and uh, are spending the night and feeling a little bit out of it. So... Uh, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you in for the drawing. We've got, like I said, we've got two copies of this book uh, that we're giving away. From the Good News Friday story out of Florida, accepting the classic learning test, which has been kind of the ACT, SAT replacement at a lot of Christian schools, and now it's going to be used or accepted be used alongside the SAT and ACT in the state university system in Florida, like Florida State and all those schools. Uh, let's head up the coast a little bit to Virginia, where Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin has done something that you would think would be a no-brainer. But let me refresh your memory on the story. Um, <coughs> back in 2021, a guy by the name of Scott Smith showed up at the Loudoun County School Board District at Loudoun County Public Schools. And he uh, basically was arrested at a school board meeting because... Um, there was an issue involving his daughter and a boy who entered the girl's bathroom. Now, Smith's teenage daughter was sexually assaulted by a male student. This took place in May of 2022, or 2021, rather. This is the first of two sexual assault incidents to occur in the public uh, Loudoun County Public Schools in the district. Basically, it happened right after the district had considered and then later implemented a trans-inclusive bathroom policy. I'm saying that in air quotes. The boy had told fellow classmates that he was going to put that to the test. He put on a skirt over his T-shirt and jeans and what he was wearing to school that day, walked into the bathroom and sexually assaulted uh, Mr. Smith's daughter, who I guess was his ex-girlfriend at the time. He was eventually convicted. Uh, as a matter of fact... <laughs> It was a brutal case. But here's what was so sad about this. Scott Smith went to the Loudoun County Public School Board meeting in June of 2021. And basically he went to complain about the fact that his daughter had in fact been sexually assaulted. And members of the school board lied about the sexual assault. They said it didn't happen or uh, that, that, that there was no incident whatsoever, that they didn't have to take any prosecution. Turns out what happened is the boy was, in fact, taken into custody of sorts for committing the crime and was transferred to another school. So basically, uh, at the school board meeting in June of 2021, the policy was being debated Scott Smith shows up and says, hey, my daughter was sexually assaulted by a boy who was dressed in male clothing, identifies as a boy, put a skirt on over his jeans, said, I am now a girl, walked into the girl's bathroom and sexually assaulted my daughter. But basically what was going to happen at the meeting is somebody knew that he was going to come and do this. And so a community member at the meeting threatened to spread false and malicious information about Mr. Smith's business rather than try to deal with the truth of what happened. The truth of what happened was they implemented this policy. This boy went into the girl's bathroom. Something the left says would never happen, but it did. And not one, but two different girls at two different schools were sexually assaulted by the same student. 
Mr. Smith got into a verbal confrontation and was arrested. He was charged with obstruction of justice and disorderly conduct and was convicted in August 2021. An appeals court, however, disqualified the prosecutor in the original case due to various concerns, including, quote, the integrity of prosecutions. Last week, um, Governor Yunkin granted an absolute pardon to Scott Smith. Um, even though uh, Scott Smith was accused of domestic terrorism and hate crimes for the crime of going to a school board meeting and telling everyone that his daughter was the first sexual assault victim of this boy at Stonebridge High School in Loudoun County, Virginia. When he was transferred to Broad Run High School a couple months later, um, the same boy who attacked Smith's daughter attacked another girl. That was on October 6th of that year. But it's interesting because when they were asked, well, what about this this incident, um, the school board president informed Mr. Smith, quote, we don't have any records of assaults occurring in our restrooms. Well, they did, and they lied. And so Glenn Youngkin did the honorable thing, and he granted a pardon. He wrote, Scott Smith is a dedicated parent who's faced unwarranted charges in his pursuit to protect his daughter. Scott's commitment to his child, despite the immense obstacles, is emblematic of the parental empowerment movement that started in Virginia. In Virginia, parents matter, and my resolve to empower parents is unwavering. A parent's fundamental right to be involved in their child's education, upbringing, and care should never be undermined by bureaucracy, school divisions, or the state. I am pleased to grant Scott Smith this pardon and help him and his family put this injustice behind him once and for all. Thank you, Governor Glenn Youngkin, for doing the right thing. And shame on these educators, these board members who are trying so hard to be politically correct and score points with the leftist agenda that they openly lied about a crime that was committed against a minor in a high school. Justice for me and not for thee, apparently, if you're on the left. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. This pardon is, in fact, good news indeed. Speaking of more good news, angels on your side when you're feeling scared. Uh, Youth ministry educator expert Marty Machowski is going to join me to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at an issue that is a big one, especially for parents and for grandparents. But what happens when you have a child or a grandchild who is dealing with fear? They're dealing with something that may seem unrealistic to you, but it's very, very real to them. And you want to 
put a biblical spin on it. You want to let them know, of course, that there's more to it than just what they see and what they hear. Well, today here on The Bottom Line Show, uh, we are joined once again by Marty Machowski. Marty's been a regular here on The Bottom Line Show. In the past, he's Family Life Pastor of Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, has served on the pastoral staff there for over 30 years. He's the author of a number of family devotionals and curriculum, children's books, etc. cetera. Uh, his newest title is a, a great one for any parent or grandparent who is dealing with the issue of I have a kid and they are scared. The book is called Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty Machowski, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me on your program. It's exciting to be with you again. Well, it's really exciting because I know as a grandpa, having had a couple of grandkids who've had those moments where we wind up getting kicked in the head and punched in the face because they're sleeping with us because they're scared of something. Oh, I would have loved to have had a book like this the last time one of those one of them was were spending the night with us. Uh, talk about this. I mean, in terms of what was the the genesis of the story for you wanting to write a resource like this and provide it for parents and grandparents to use in these special times? Well, I think you're you're absolutely right. And what I what I found myself doing initially is what I did with my kids and tell them, you don't need to be afraid. And, you know, for them, okay, it's like, yeah, I trust what you're saying, Dad, but you don't understand that green monster is under my bed. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and and so what what I think we don't do so well is why? Why don't they need to be afraid? You don't need to be afraid, but why, Dad? Why? And so I wanted to put together a book that would help parents teach their children that God is bigger than their challenges. He controls everything. And he has a, an invisible at times, visible at other times, angel army at his disposal that can protect them. You know, it's amazing when you think about that and put it that way, because so often what happens in life is we talk about things in real tangible terms, especially with young kids, right? You know, you're learning how to do certain things. This is how you tie your shoe. This is how you go to the potty, you know, whatever it is. And oftentimes the idea of introducing something supernatural is we kind of leave that for Netflix, you know, or whatever they're watching TV and, oh, well, I know that this is kind of a, an out there story, but it isn't really real. How do you bridge the gap in a children's book regarding the, the idea that the kids are familiar perhaps with the supernatural, but they don't think of it as being real? Well, the character in the story does just that. When grandpa says, you don't need to worry, you know, God is protecting you. He has his angels to guard you. The kid's like, they're not real. You know, and you think about uh, so much of what our kids are exposed to is that superhero genre. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're telling our kids, yeah, but that's not real. And they kind of know it's not real because nobody they know is invisible. Nobody they know can run a billion miles an hour. Nobody <laughs> they know yeah. can fly. And uh, and so they, they think that, you know, God is the same. You know, God is, is this made-up figure and his angels this made-up figure. And so what we need to do and what I do in the story is take them back to objective truth. What does the Bible say? You know, my opinion's great, your opinion's great, but God's opinion, his opinion is better. And yeah. so the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to touch our children's lives and make them aware and help them comprehend and help them believe. 
And so what the little boy in the story, Logan, uh, it goes through with his grandfather in the story is his grandfather reading him stories about God's angel army to show him in history. It happened before and God hasn't changed. Hmm. Marty Michalski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of a brand new book for kids called Angels on Your Side, When You're Feeling Scared. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Marty, how did you, you worked with a, a, an illustrator by the name of this Ramel Ruiz. Did I pronounce that correctly? Ramel Ruiz. Ramel yeah. Ruiz. Um, when you're working with an illustrator and telling a children's story, of course, there's a lot, the pictures play a huge role. The 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 dialogue, of course, is important, but there's not as many words because it's a kid's book, right? I mean, how did you set out to, to do this? Because I would imagine that one of the challenges you had to overcome was when a lot of kids hear the word angels, the first thing they think of, unfortunately, is that kind of precious moments, you know, cute little cherubs around the manger of Jesus when he's born. They don't think of, you know, lightsabers and swords and three dimensional uh, figures like that. How did you guys put together the uh, the visual to go along with the story? Well, I, I envisioned uh, angels uh, kind of, well, angels come in two forms. They come in uh, human form so that you don't even know that they're angels. Um, we could be entertaining angels, the scripture says, when we're engaging in hospitality. Uh, but but uh, many of the angels in the scripture that show up on the scene uh, have to say two words, fear not. So mm. we know they're imposing creatures. We know that they're powerful and they could have overthrown the Roman army in a heartbeat right. um, to defend Christ had he called the legions of angels down. And so I said to Rommel, I said, I want these angels to be like superheroes. They are, mm. they are God's superheroes uh, they're the Incredibles, the true Incredibles, and let's make them that way. Let's not make them scary, and let's not make them silly. Let's right. make them strong and powerful, representing God's strength and his power. And I had seen some of the work that uh, Rommel had done in his other books, and I knew he was a, a master with depicting light and so I said, let's use some of what you can do well in this book. And man, when you go through the pages, you just see the effects of light and the color. It just pops. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's it's fun to watch. And at the same time, you know, I, my first thought was, OK, we're talking about how do kids overcome fear, uh, deal with worry and stuff like that. This is kind of the bedtime, the proverbial bedtime story that's designed to help. And yet there's so much pop going on here. I mean, we're talking 3D, 3D illustrations and all the bright colors and everything. It might get them too excited. I mean, the, the, but there's there's a method to the, I don't want to say method to the madness, but there, there's definitely a plan in the way this is put together as kind of, uh, you know, regular repetitive bedtime story reading for kids. What, what age groups were you targeting with this specifically? Well, you know, the wonderful thing about children is parents step in to make a book more accessible to younger children. We read it to them. Right. And uh, so uh, it's interesting. My uh, grandson's name is Logan, and yeah. I got a chance to visit with him this uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, he is, you know, not quite three yet. So he was engaged in the story. And yet the truth that it contains of the gospel is effective for even upper grade school. 
And quite frankly, third graders still get afraid of the dark. They still, mm -hmm. uh, when mm -hmm. that thunder claps and that lightning strikes, uh, third graders are coming into mom and dad's bed or grandma and grandpa's bed too. Sure. So I mm -hmm. think, you know, if you think about, yeah, preschool to third grade, that's, that's really the sweet spot for the book. You know, it's interesting, Marty, uh, when you mentioned that, too, because we're living in a time right now where it used to be when we were coming up and then as we were raising our kids, there were definite seasons of life. There's no question about, you know, infancy, toddlerhood, uh, into adolescence and then, you know, uh, young adulthood. Nowadays, it seems like kids are being subjected to so many things at younger ages and then it takes a little bit longer for them to work through things where to where I was reading uh, somewhere not too long ago and uh, you're work in family ministry would probably uh, have even more depth on the subject. But the the fact that we used to say, okay, once you turn 18, 19, 21, whatever, you've hit adulthood, now it takes basically the whole decade of their 20s, you know, to kind of move and making that transition. So the, the fact that some a kid could be in third grade, maybe be eight, nine, even 10 years of age and still dealing with this, I think that's great insight, you know, that you're looking at the kids where they are, seeing how the society is shaping, you know, and molding their thoughts. And the fears and worries that they're taking with them are more than just the, uh, you know, there's a big green monster under the bed, as you were mentioning earlier, uh, that there are fears and worries that are uh, taking on all types of shapes and forms. I think you're right. And, and the wonderful thing about teaching our children when they're young, some just key truths that they can hang on to yeah. is that when they get older and they have more mature fears, like nobody likes me, or when I go to this new school, will anybody like me? I'm afraid to go. Uh, the truths that, that came through a book, like Angels on Your Side, can stick with them and help them. No, God is in control. I need not Amen. fear. And uh, they can fall back on that. So I think as parents, we've got to reclaim good, solid truth reading with our kids in a video age that wants to just keep them entertained. Right. We've got to teach them in this video age and books like this I've designed to try to help parents and give them a tool to do just that. Marty Machowski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a must read for, especially for if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent and you have kids in that sweet spot that Marty was talking about, this is a book you want to have on your child or grandchild's bookshelf. And we'll talk more about this in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Marty Machowski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about, he's a best-selling children's author and also has served faithfully as the family life pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Been on staff there for 30 years. This brand new book is called Angels on Your Side, When You're Feeling... We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I love the fact that it's a superhero type of book, but Marty, you really do stress the fact that angels are real that these armies are real and that the kids are always protected by that. And, and that, that's that got to be a, a real comfort to the kids who hear this book and eventually begin to, to read this book aloud. There's a part of it, though, that also focuses on what happens when the angels aren't present. And this is more than just Danny Glover and angels in the outfield saying, no, not on championship game day. I mean, this is the this is the real deal here. Talk Talk about how we introduce that concept into a child's life. Well, you know, I wanted this to be real. I didn't want it to be fake. I didn't want to give them false hopes. I wanted right. to give them real hope that right. God is in control of all things. That doesn't mean that everything always works out for us. 
in the story, uh, he, the main character, Logan, talks about his grandmother's car accident. Why didn't the angels protect her from having a car mm -hmm. accident? Yeah. And his grandfather says, well, you know, um, we don't always know the question, those answers to the questions, but we know this, that God is all powerful and he's good. And then the grandfather mentions, and, and you know, your grandmother survived. She's doing fine. She's okay. And yeah. then I talk about the one time when God did not send his angels. And that, of course, is when Jesus was arrested and was about to be crucified. Uh, Peter pulls out his sword. He's ready to defend. Jesus says, put away your sword. Don't you know I could call down for legions of angels? But how would the scriptures be fulfilled? You see, God didn't send his angels to rescue Jesus. We know that there was an angel present when he was in the garden of Gethsemane to comfort right, him. Right. But Jesus went through the struggle. Why? Because God is good and he's all powerful and he had a plan, a gospel plan that we might be saved through Jesus's sacrifice. And the bottom line is Jesus didn't call upon the angels so that he could make us a part of his family and provide those angels to protect us. And so I think the balance is there. We're not given an automatic life. We still have trouble. We still get sick. We still have things that can be scary. But in the midst of our troubles, we can teach our children we can trust the Lord. Marty Machowski with great wisdom today here on The Bottom Line, talking about his brand new children's book called Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, especially grandma, grandpa. I'm appealing to the those who are in the same situation that Lisa and I are. This is the kind of book we want to have for when the kids are here and having uh, a two right now that are in that sweet spot that Marty was talking about, preschool up through about third grade. This is a great resource to have. Now, going to get tech geek on you for just a moment here. I mentioned the illustrations are really powerful. They're 3D, which means this does come with 3D glasses, right, Marty Michowski? Yes, every book comes with two pairs of 3D glasses. People say, why do you need two? I said, well, one for your son and one for your grandpa. There you go. You know, and, uh, so, yeah, you need you need to see what they see. Uh, this was a way for us to communicate uh, the unique qualities of the supernatural realm. So when you see the angels and them in, in uh, their rescue of Elisha or them uh, visiting the shepherds, uh, those pages are in 3D. So when you put the glasses on, you get that dimensional look of a red, blue kind of combo uh, glasses nice. where one eyes on one part of the illustration, the other eyes looking at the other. So yeah, it's it was exciting to see Ramel uh, put that together in 3D for, for this book. Marty, talk about, take the final moments of our time together here and talk about the importance of grandparents being intentional with their grandchildren with regard to the spiritual life and the spiritual component. I know that as grandparents, we're trying really hard to honor our kids as they are, you know, the parents, they're the authority, but there's a place for them to come alongside and, and really reinforce or in some cases even beef up. I mean, I'm sure there are some grandparents listening to us right now who have kids who grew up in the church, who are kind of nominal in their Christian faith, and they aren't really uh, <clears throat> in, imparting these biblical truths to their grandchildren. Please uh, help us uh, kind of give us permission. What's the best way for a grandparent who might be on that fringe to use a book like this as a way to kind of introduce more of the tenets of the Christian faith in a child's life? Well, the exciting part about passing on your faith through a resource like this is you don't have to come up with what to say. 
Mm. A lot of times grandparents don't know exactly what to say. Like parents, they've got this big, thick study Bible sitting on the table laughing <laughs> at them like, ah, try to try to teach me to a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. well, well, what I've made my mission in life to do is to provide resources that take all of that trouble away. You're a father, if you're a mom, if you're a grandma, a grandpa, every single one of my books is designed to help you reach your grandchildren, your children with the life-transforming gospel message. You don't have to figure it out. All you have to do is read. Yeah, it's all right there for you. And plus, this one comes with 3D glasses. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, it's very, very... It's better than that. Yeah, it really does. not it'll certainly keep your kids engaged on a number of different levels. Marty Machowski, the book is called Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll no doubt have a couple to give away at the end of our conversation here. But first, let me uh, bid adieu to Marty Machowski. Congratulations on this outstanding resource. And thank you on behalf of every parent and grandparent listening for continuing to come up with the kind of curriculum, the kind of material, the, these resources that help us ultimately not just keep our kids entertained. And, and in a case like this book, not just to say, okay, they're scared. We need to calm them down because we all need a good night's sleep. This is an opportunity for us to really teach some biblical truth. And that will create an even greater sense of calm and security in the life of a child. So Marty, thank you for the work that you continue to do from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. Great to be on your show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, a delightful and very useful conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show with Marty Machowski. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we are giving away a copy of the book today. Uh, we got a couple to give away. Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared is a brand new book for kids who are dealing with issues of you know how to overcome that kind of anxiety. 800-227-5278. Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line here on this Good News Friday. Now, on the other side of this break, we typically reserve this day for nothing but good news, but when someone does pass away who is rather iconic, it is well worth noting, and um, it was reported in the news this morning that uh, uh, former California Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, passed away at the age of 90 earlier today. On the other side of this break, I want to just kind of give you a little laundry list of what her career has been like and without passing any sort of judgment one way or the other i know people have some very strong opinions about her but when somebody who's been in the senate that long uh serves that long uh it's worth us taking a look at the record that she left so we'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, an anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, this listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get other bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in preborn clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy. When you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to 
my website, rogermarsh.com, and click on the preborn banner there. Let's save lives through preborn. $15,000 by the 15th of October. We can do this. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. My thanks again to Marty Machowski for joining me for a great conversation on his outstanding book for kids called Angels Beside You While You Sleep. Uh, We've got a link for the book up at The Bottom Line Show. It's Angels on Your Side When You're Feeling Scared is the name of the title. Um, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. As reported uh, just a few moments ago here on The Bottom Line Show, you probably heard that it was actually technically last evening, September 28th, that uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away, cause of death not made public, um, being uh, hailed on both sides of the aisle as someone who uh, is, is worthy of respect and uh, acknowledgement. She first became a senator in 1992, uh, served five terms in office uh, before her time in Washington, D.C. She was San Francisco's mayor and a member of the city's board of supervisors. Remember that uh, she became the mayor um, when uh, during a rather tumultuous time in San Francisco politics. Um, this is a, a woman who got praise from Republicans and Democrats. And when she did come into uh, prominence in the state Senate or the California, the U.S. Senate, though, um, this is a woman who graduated from Stanford University in 1955 with a history degree. Um, she was appointed to California's by California's governor to the Women's Parole Board in 1960. She was 27 years old. And that started her government career. A lot of people think that Dianne Feinstein was an attorney, but actually she was more of a bureaucrat. And uh, she served on the California Women's Parole Board. Then she ran for uh, San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1960 and won. Now, this is a woman who was born in 1933. So San Francisco was way ahead of its time. When George Moscone was assassinated in the whole Harvey Milk thing, uh, Dianne Feinstein, 20 years later, was appointed mayor of San Francisco, and she held that position until she was elected senator in the United States in 1992. Her, her latest husband uh, passed away last fall. She had first been married to a guy called Jack Berman. Then she married Bertram Feinstein and actually kept his name. Uh, Feinstein uh, died in 1978, but uh, she uh, kept that name uh, through the rest of her uh, married life. It was, it was good for her politically. People knew her by that name. And so even when she uh, married her, uh, her husband who passed away just recently, um, back in 2022, uh, she was still known as Diane Feinstein, even though her married name was Diane Blum. Um, some pundits have said that one of the best things about uh, this happening right now is that we'll actually finally bring to light the conversation of how long is too long to serve. I mean, what, what's going to happen now is Governor Newsom as he was allowed to do when uh, California Senator Kamala Harris ran for vice president along with Joe Biden and won. He was then uh, able to name a a successor to her Senate seat, which he did, um, Alex Padilla, I believe. And then um, now there's another, you know, feeding frenzy because Dianne Feinstein announced she was not going to run for re-election in 2024, and there's already a pretty crowded field. Um, On the Democrat side, it's... uh, Congresswoman uh, Barbara Lee, uh, Katie Porter, and Congressman Adam Schiff have all thrown their hat in the rings to run for senator. Um, Eric Early, uh, an attorney who ran for governor, and uh, businesswoman Sarah Sun Liu have announced on the Republican side it was going to come down primarily in California to one of those three. So now the question will be, what kind of appointment will Gavin Newsom make? I mean, obviously, I think Adam Schiff doesn't have a prayer in this case. It could be Katie Porter. It could be Barbara Lee. 
Um, it, it'll be very interesting to see what Governor Newsom does and what his political aspirations are. Something tells me it's going to be Katie Porter. Um, but nonetheless, um, this is another conversation, too. Diane Feinstein was 90 years of age when she passed away. In, she's been in the hospital most of 2023. And in July, at one point, there was a video, I don't know if you saw it, toward the end of July, where there was a measure that she was supposed to vote on, and she didn't understand the question she was being asked. She was sitting there in a wheelchair, and someone finally said, just say I." Evidently, there was a vote on something recently, there's an unconfirmed report, that she allegedly voted in favor of, even though she was literally knocking on death's door. At some point, the American people are going to want to know why we have so many octogenarians and even nonagerians in this case serving when obviously their bodies are kind of wearing out. But trust me, when we get to the end of our days, and we all will, the words we want to hear are not, how do you vote on this bill? Or where's my share of the inheritance? But well done, good and faithful servant. So we can hope and pray for the Feinstein family and the Bloom family. Uh, that this was the case, though there's no indication that there was. But uh, rest well, Senator Feinstein, and uh, pray for our state and our nation as Governor Newsom uh, makes the decision as to whom is going to replace her in the U.S. Senate. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming your way next. As we continue, back to the good news uh, celebrations, especially as it pertains to the story of a doctor who is facing disciplinary action for praying with a patient who has now been reinstated. This is a fascinating study and a cautionary tale that we're going to take a look at coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here, or I should say welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. It's Good News Friday. And you know, it's interesting. I, I'm not going to lie. If I look at the news headlines, whether it be on mainstream legacy media or Christian media, uh, what I see more often than not is bad news or stuff that's happening locally or what do you think of this election or what do you think of this headline or, you know, let's get your opinion because your opinion matters. And I know our opinions do carry some weight with regard to how we approach problems, but in all honesty, if we're looking for solutions, sometimes we kind of have to get past our opinions and see what's really going on in the culture. And I love the challenge of trying to find good news stories because they are tougher and tougher to find. I mean, that's the not going to lie part. It is more and more difficult in the culture that we live in to find stories that are good newsable and worth praising about because oftentimes they involve our brothers and sisters in Christ who are put in situations where their livelihood is at risk, maybe their own physical health is at risk. Uh, maybe their property is at risk. And I, I get it. We're living in times now where we're beginning to see the wheat and the tares coming up. Uh, you look at that uh, great uh, illustration, I believe it's in Matthew 13, where the, the landowner plants the wheat and then uh, the, in the night his neighbor comes and plants weeds among the wheat. And as they first start to grow up, the wheat looks kind of green and stocky like and so does the it's the bearded darnell that uh, looks it mimics wheat if you see pictures of them side by side in their infancy and as they're kind of growing those two look essentially the same but then over time the head of the wheat grain 
sprouts open and you see the actual wheat on the top. At the same time, the Darnell shows up and it becomes, it's beautiful looking, but it's this noxious, toxic, uh, just not good for you plant. And once you get to the point where it's about to be harvestable, it makes it very difficult to harvest because that weed is so toxic. And so when Jesus tells the story, uh, the workers of the farm in the parable ask the landowner, shall we go weed the garden, basically? And he says, no, we're going to go ahead and we're going to harvest all of it at the same time. We'll separate the wheat from the weeds. The weeds will be taken out and burned and the wheat will be taken into the barn. So you're either going to get barned or burned, right? And when we see, when we know that that's the perspective that we have, it really does change the way we approach the sharing of the good news, the living out of our faith in this culture. So for those who, I mean, it's a delicate balance, I understand. You want to live according to biblical principles. You want to stand up for what is right. You want to love justice and do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God, as we see in Micah. But at the same time, sometimes we can become so focused on the doing good part that we forget to do um, uh, the, the part that for which we were actually called to do, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so finding good news stories sometimes can be a real challenge. And the real challenge comes from the fact that I came across a story about the uh, mayor of Spokane, Washington, who went to one of Sean Foyk's Let Us Pray rallies. And while she was there, there was a pastor who was a bit of a controversial guy. Um, He was doing outreach ministry, but six, seven years ago, he was actually arrested and kicked out of the Republican National Convention there because he had gotten involved in some criminal activity involving some wildlife refuge or something like that. So now there's been a call to censure the mayor of Spokane, Washington, because she showed up at this event and she was prayed for by this controversial pastor. And now everyone's pointing fingers at everyone. The, the mayor is saying, I didn't know, I don't know who Sean Foyt is. I didn't know the, what this rally was for. We had some fires here locally. And I, I go to a lot of different prayer events and I was there to pray for the families who had been impacted by the fires. The pastor there said, wait a minute, we invited her weeks ago. She had agreed to come weeks ago. She's saying she'd never met me before, but we had all the correspondence. She knew who Sean was and she knew what she was getting into. So for her to sit there and feign like she didn't know what's going on, we can't help you with that. And then, of course, you got people in the community saying, well, our, our mayor shouldn't be going to a prayer breakfast anyway. And so censure her, you know, keep her from winning re-election in November. So, I mean, is there a good news? I guess it's good news that the mayor of Spokane went to a prayer event, but, you know, with the infighting that's going on there and the way that people understand Christianity and understand the Constitution. The older I get, I mean, I I think of Philippians 3.14 a lot as Paul talks about running the race, the the race of faith, running with perseverance. He talks about that in Hebrews. But in Philippians 3.14, he talks about literally having a focus that is so narrow that your whole focus now is like you were squinting to block out every other obstacle except the light that lights you to the path of the finish line of your race of faith. And I get that. I mean, I've been getting that a lot since I turned 60 a couple of years ago. I don't know what it is about those landmark birthdays 
turning 30 was not that big a deal, but 31, it was like, oh my gosh, this is real. You know, <laughs> turning 40, maybe it's because the, the literalist in me, and maybe you're this way too, knows that technically you don't enter your 40s on your 40th birthday. You know, remember when we talked about the end of the millennia and all this Y2K stuff where we were turning over, you know, all the computers are going to get messed up on January 1st, 2000, and what do we do? Well, technically the 21st century didn't start till 2001 because if the centuries or the decade begins in year one, then year 10 is the last year of that decade and year 11 is the, the next one. You get the idea. So the idea that we, uh, you know, are, are, are looking at these things, you know, in, in terms of what's important and what's not, for me, it's always been 41st year, 51st year, 61st. That's when it all starts to really hit in terms of the changes. And man, what I'm seeing is two things. First, I'm seeing the end times getting closer and closer. You know, the, the tribulation period could be happening a lot sooner than a lot of people think it will. And secondly, the desire that everyone everywhere would be saved, that Christians would be showing up because they're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The fact that it doesn't matter what denomination you are, what gender you are, what race you are, how old you are, there's a spiritual component that says we in the body of Christ should be able to identify other people in the body of Christ. Remember that song we sang in the 70s, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And that isn't just, oh, you make me feel good love, it's that love. But one thing that should be a marker for us, uh, not only as a frustration for what's happening in this world, but also should break our hearts, is when the world takes a look at us acting out on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ and wants to punish us for it. And by punishing, I'm talking about being arrested, being uh, you know thrown in prison, losing a medical license, whatever it is. Dr. Richard Scott is a medical practitioner who understands exactly how this works. According to the Medical Practitioners Tribunal Service in Kent, England, Dr. Scott overstepped his boundaries when he committed something, uh, committed a crime against this guy um, that will not sound like much of a crime to you and me, but it's kind of becoming more part and parcel with what's going on. You know what the crime was? He had been engaged in conversation with a patient and he shared about his faith in Christ. He did so with the patient's full consent. But then the patient had a conversation with his mother and said that after having that conversation, it made this 19-year-old guy feel uncomfortable. So a tribunal was called for Dr. Richard Scott. Um, I, this is Good News Friday, so obviously the, there's going to be a good result on the other side of this break. But I can't stress enough how this will no longer be just the exception. It will become the rule the closer we get to the Lord's return. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? 
After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news for Dr. Richard Scott of Kent, England. Um, who was serving at the Bethesda Medical Center in Margate in Kent um, and was visiting patients when he was uh, informed that he had overstepped the boundaries of what he should be doing. This happened back on the 25th of August, 2022. Now, bear in mind, Dr. Scott has been in practice for 40 years. And he was working with a patient who had a history of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. At the time of his appointment, this young man, 19 years of age, at the Bethesda Medical Center, was suffering from poor mental health. So in conversation with Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott asked him, would it be okay if I shared something with you with regard to my Christian faith that I think will be a benefit to you? Dr. Scott maintains, as does the patient, that the patient agreed and said, yes, I would love to hear what you have to say. And so during the consultation, Dr. Scott allegedly talked about his faith. He shared openly and honestly about things. I can only imagine what he said. They they don't give us the full notes here in the article, but uh, it's very possible, of course, that a man of faith who served in medicine in the healing arts for many years would talk about how he came to faith, how God provides a a, a balm, if you will, B-A-L-M, uh, to calm your fears and, uh, and soothe your worried mind and actually renew your mind with good, godly, and wholesome and healthy thoughts. And then Dr. Scott asked the young man if he could pray with him. He said yes. So they joined hands in prayer. No word as to what specifically was, um, what was actually discussed in the prayer. My hunch is, since it's a doctor, praying with a patient who has had, it was in, as he described, it was in poor mental health, and was suffering from ADHD, that uh, it wasn't a super lengthy prayer. And I'm sure it was focused all on healing and restoration for this young guy. I mean, I'm speculating at this point, but uh, I think we can surmise some things. But then they finished the prayer. Dr. Scott gave him a Bible, and that was the end of the consultation. Okay, no big deal. Um, Until it became a big deal. Evidently, now this is the part of the story that is very, very interesting. Evidently, he, Dr. Scott was then brought up before the tribunal because he received a complaint. But it wasn't from the patient, it was from the patient's mother. Evidently, she found out, and we don't know what this young man said to his mom other than coming home from the consultation has a Bible in hand. Where did you get the Bible? Oh, I just went to go meet with Dr. Scott. We had a consultation. He shared his faith with me. We prayed together and he gave me a Bible. It could have been something that innocuous. There's no indication in the court record as to whether or not uh, Dr. Scott uh, was was described as this horrible, uh, advantage-taking, often awful person who... Um, 
uh, would have something like this happen. But nonetheless, the, uh, the mother contacted the medical practitioner's tribunal service and demanded a tribunal because of the fact that uh, she said her patient son said he felt uneasy at the point where the doctor allegedly suggested that he reconnect with God. Now, what's interesting about this is apparently this guy had a faith journey at some point, may have been just a church-going family, may have been a parochial school of some sort, but the young man was obviously not unfamiliar with God. He knew about the Bible. He knew about prayer. And when Dr. Scott offered to pray with him, to share his faith with him, the young man agreed. But after he finished up, the, the, the meeting got home, showed the Bible to his mother. The mother said, how do you feel? The patient said he felt, and I'm quoting him here, he felt uneasy. The fact that the doctor allegedly suggested to him that now would be a good time for him to reconnect with God. So make note of this, if you would. 40-year medical veteran, great man of the Christian faith, has an extra Bible on hand, by the way, and is willing to, in a counseling session, say, if you're dealing, the guy has symptoms of ADHD, if you're feeling with anxiety, having a hard time focusing, let me offer a recommendation to you. Why not reconnect with God? Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time reading the Bible. Trust me, it will help. It will help improve your mental outlook. It'll help improve your emotional stability. Trust me, it will work. Well, apparently... After Dr. Scott had received consent to get in on this conversation, the medical tribunal concluded that he, quote, overstepped the boundaries of acceptable medical practice. However, they added, uh, Dr. Scott's actions did not cross the high threshold required to be considered serious misconduct. So now they have to decide whether or not that there should be some level of judgment against Dr. Scott. There's one piece of the puzzle that is holding this up. And we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to explain what that is and why the General Medical Council had to make a decision with regard to whether or not to suspend his medical license, to stop his medical practice for a season, or simply just to give him a quote-unquote slap on the wrist. Uh, give you a hint. The answer is door number three. But there's a reason why this is an important conversation to have. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up the discussion in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby once conceived in the womb is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms, but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. It's really easy to remember. 833-850-BABY, or if you want to do the numbers, it's 833 833- 
888-253-850-2229. Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. Uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the preborn banner today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at the case of Dr. Richard Scott, 40-year veteran of medical practice in England. He uh, practices at Bethesda Medical Center in Margate in Kent. And last August, he was having a counseling session with a patient, a 19-year-old man who was battling ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. According to the BBC, the young man was suffering from poor mental health at the time of his appointment, and this is the reason why um, they wanted the the consultation with Dr. Richard Scott. So the young man comes into Dr. Scott's office, they sit down, they have a conversation, and then after hearing him talk about his anxieties for a while, Dr. Scott asks him if it would be okay if he started sharing with the young man about his, Dr. Scott's, faith. The young man agrees. They start having a dialogue back and forth about uh, calms and worries and, and, and things that can ease your fears. And Dr. Scott, of course, mentions, you know, perfect love casting out fear. Jesus saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all of you who uh, are weary from your labor, and I will give you rest. You know, passages that would be very assuring. He then asks them if it's okay if they pray. And so they join hands and they pray. And then afterwards, Dr. Scott hands him a Bible and sends him on his way. All of this conversation happened with the patient's consent. It's when the patient got home and was sharing with his mother that he felt uneasy when allegedly Dr. Scott said that one of the ways he could help calm his ADHD was to reconnect with God. And I'm quoting him there. So that's when the the medical tribunal got together. The medical practitioners tribunal service had a formal investigation of Dr. Richard Scott. And here's what they concluded. They concluded that even though Dr. Scott had received consent to, uh, you know, to, to embark on this conversation, he then, quote unquote, overstepped the boundaries. However, Dr. Scott's actions did not cross the high threshold required to be considered serious misconduct. So that's good news. Dr. Scott uh, was given a letter of warning uh, the first time he was brought up before a tribunal uh, they're debating whether or not to bring up a second by the way the first time happened in 2012 he was investigated because there were several patients who were offended they said by the fact that dr richard scott had offered to pray with and for them when they had come in for counseling now i'll be honest with you having had a lot of medical work done over the past five six years more than i'd ever had in my entire life spent more time in hospitals over the past, uh, well, four or five years than I ever, I mean, prior to being hospitalized in January 2017 with sepsis, my only other hospital stay was when I had a tonsillectomy when I was four. And it's funny because we were talking earlier about Marty Machowski and things that make kids scared. My sister and I were reflecting on this the other day. East Whittier Presbyterian Hospital, the same place I was born, um, I was basically sentenced to a couple days there in 1965 
And apparently because I had a habit for sleepwalking, because I didn't always stay in the bed, the only time I remember being awake in the hospital, they literally had me in a cage. I kid you not. I was wondering, I thought it felt like I was, you know, kind of incarcerated there. And my sister finally fessed up. She said she was in the same room. She said, you were. I said, why? Was I a flight risk? I mean, what happened? And she said, no, just they were concerned that you might walk in your sleep, that you might try to crawl out of bed, that you didn't want to stay in bed because you had a, you know, this kind of history of the nightmares and everything, and you were in pain and you were still kind of coming off all the medication. Remember, tonsillectomy was a big you know, uh, process back then. So yeah, well, I remember waking up in this kind of black and white room and they wanted to give me vanilla ice cream. I don't like vanilla ice cream as a rule. I wanted chocolate or something else. I just knew I was swollen to beat the band. But yeah, I was in, they had been in this cage. Apparently that was common back in the 60s for kids who were having surgery. So I didn't file any lawsuit. Maybe I would go back and do that. But in terms of the misconduct area, you know, someone with ADHD diagnosed this way um, and then getting spiritual counsel from someone, um, Dr. Scott has offered to pray with patients. And I'll be honest with you, as a man of faith, as an adult in my faith journey, I would love that as a Christian. As an unbeliever, I can understand why somebody might say, I feel a little funky about that. And so I would tread very, very carefully with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3.15, when somebody asks you to do that. Or if they don't ask you, if you say, hey, would it be okay if I prayed for you? Apparently in 2012, Dr. Richard Scott was had offered to pray for several patients. Many of them tried to bring him up on charges and the General Medical Council of England issued a warning letter saying, don't do this again or, you know, sanctions will be taken. So it remains to be seen whether or not the General Medical Council will issue him a second warning for offering to pray with this guy. But let's understand, in post-Christian America and in a post-Christian world, that really has become anti-Christian. For a guy like Dr. Richard Scott to have a medical career and to potentially lose it because he offered to pray with and for a patient, it's going to become more common. And for those who are saying, yeah, but that's England. We've got the Constitution. We've got religious liberty. Don't think for a minute that a guy like him might not lose his medical license, might wind up losing his practice, might wind up bankrupting his family and putting him in an orange jumpsuit simply for committing the quote-unquote crime of asking a patient, how can I pray for you? Have you read the Bible recently? Would you like a copy that I have here? I'd love to give this to you. It's a bit naive and somewhat arrogant of us to think that these won't be coming our way, these charges. But the good news is not that Dr. Richard Scott dodged a bullet, that he kept his medical license. Good for him. The good news is when the Holy Spirit prompted him to pray for a patient, he said yes. When the Holy Spirit has prompted him to pay for pray for patients and offer Bibles and you know whatever it is that he can offer, he said yes. See, the beauty of what we're going through right now, it's not comfortable by any stretch of the imagination. However, the beauty in it is that this life is all temporary. You know, those, uh, those times where you think this person did everything right for 30 years and then they made one little mistake and all of a sudden you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Well, maybe, just maybe, the motive wasn't right. 
maybe they knew how to get away with masking the bad behavior, but at the end of the day, we always get found out. The great line in the movie Moonstruck, it's an unfortunate scene because the character played by Cher had been having a relationship outside of her marriage, and um, so had uh, another family member, and the guy who was the family member uh, who looks at the grandfather, and uh, he finally, he says, well, should I tell him? And he says, yeah, just tell the truth. They always find out anyway. The beautiful thing about the truth is you never have to remember what you said. The truth of our human existence is really very basic. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever in this sinful fallen world and in our sinful fallen state, whosoever believes in him will not die, but will have everlasting life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You'll be prompted to meet Jesus in the waters of baptism. You'll be prompted to commune with fellow Christians at the Lord's table, the Eucharist. You'll fellowship with the Lord in his living and active written word and in community of believers like what we have each and every day here on the Bottom Line Show. Receive that good news that's available to you and to all people who need forgiveness of sin. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.